Warning, some things in our podcast may not be suitable for everyone. We talk about cults and murders, and due to the nature of our podcast, may use harsh language at times. Viewer's discretion is advised. And also, we can't pronounce anything. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Cults and Crime, a true kind podcast covering cults, crime, and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Jamie. And I'm your other host, Nicole. Okay, guys, this week we're covering the Unification Church. The Unification Church is a religious movement founded in South Korea by the Reverend Sun Mung Moon. It was founded in 1954. The primary belief of the church is that God's original intent for humanity was to form perfect marriages in order to redeem humanity and fight Satanism. Moon's church is really well known, especially for once marrying over 7,000 couples at a time in 2009. Oh my God. (laughs) They did mass marriages and it's still a common practice in the church. They're called blessing ceremonies. Oh, so exciting. Yeah, many of these marriages were arranged marriages because Moon didn't re- because Moon didn't believe in romantic love. So what did he just believe in procreation? Well, the whole point of the church was people to get blessed, have children, and those children were going to be sinless, born without sin. Moon was born in 1920 in North Korea during Japanese occupation. Moon's family was Presbyterian, a religion that the Japanese government did not condone. Moon grew up practicing her as a religion in secret. According to Moon, at the age of 16, on Easter Day, he received a divine message from God. The message said that he himself would be the Messiah, that he would save the world from Satanism. He then took a few days to think it over, like one does when they're speaking with God. Yeah. And started writing the divine principle. The divine principle was a collection of his ideals. He started by writing in the margins of a Bible, but eventually wrote his own book. Moon describes his journey as for several decades, he wandered through the spiritual world so vast as to be beyond imagination through intimate spiritual communication with God. And by meeting with Jesus and many saints in paradise, He brought to light all the secrets of heaven. Early on in the church, Moon was obsessed with purification. Many women have come forward to testify that Moon had sex with them in order to quote, quote, purify them. But he denies all these claims. But he can't deny the woman that he got pregnant. He got her pregnant during one of his purification ceremonies, but then sent her away to live in abject poverty in Japan. Moon was a classic narcissist with a messiah complex. I'm going to include information about what a messiah complex is, just because I think it's important that when you're talking about conditions, to talk about them in a way that's structured so people know what their defining features are. The person who suffers from the messiah complex feels that there is a certain mission that they need to fulfill, often at any cost. The person doesn't need to know what the mission is to feel their own exclusiveness. This can distance them from a society. Such people hold irrational beliefs to their own uniqueness. They have a tendency to isolate themselves and to think of themselves as prophets. Wow. This fits Moon really well. You know, he believed he was a messiah. He believed that he alone was given a mission from God in order to save people from Satanism. And that was through sleeping with him. 
in the early days of the church, but eventually it was through having children with your chosen match or being blessed. Oh, okay. Um, he has a few claims that also back this up really well. First, he claimed that he saw Jesus when he was 16. He claimed that Jesus appointed him as his successor. He claimed to have a mission to remove satanic lineage from marrying true couples of his own choosing. That he was the only one that could choose these proper couples. Later, he claimed that he defeated all satanic forces and became the victor of heaven and earth. He claimed he was the true father, claimed to be the incarnation of God. And in 2014, he told an audience in Washington that emperors, kings, and presidents, including Hitler and Stalin, had declared to all heaven and earth that Reverend Sung Young Moon is none other than humanity's savior, messiah, returning lord, and true parent. Wow, that sounds exactly like a messiah complex to me. Yeah, he kind of hit the nail on the head with that one. But it's hard to say whether he believed this or these were just a means to an end for him. In 2008, his personal wealth was over $625 million. Jesus, that's a lot of money. All this money came from his followers. They would join a church, give up all their worldly possessions, and live in communal buildings on church grounds. And they're giving all these communal possessions up to him, right? To the church, to fund the church and the church grounds and the church properties. Mong didn't believe in communism, but he forced his followers to live in a lifestyle that was really close to communism. Well, close how? Well, they had to share all their belongings. Nothing belonged to them. Everything belonged to the church. Every penny that they made doing any of the jobs that they could get went to the church. And then it would be funneled back to them a little bit for a stipend for food and water and clothing. Okay. Moon gained his followers using classic tactics. First, a clean-cut member would approach you, maybe at a gas station or a shopping center, somewhere where there's other people around where you could feel at ease. They would start talking to you and then invite you to dinner or a meeting. Once there, you would get love-bombed. As stated in a previous episode, love-bombing is the practice of overwhelming someone with signs and adoration of attraction. Members would be welcomed with open arms, making them feel like they're the center of the universe, rained down with compliments, and they'd be begged to stay and listen to the lectures. Once someone did join the church, they were encouraged to leave their old family and lives behind. He would become their true father, and he encouraged many members to cut ties with their impure families. This creates a reliance on the church. Even if you internally started to question Moon, it would be next to impossible to leave. Many members lived in the compound with other Moonies and sold trinkets to make money. But isn't that what a lot of domestic violence abusers do with their victims? They start isolating them so they can't get out. That's exactly what a lot of domestic violence abusers do. If you look at the similarities between a cult leader and a domestic abuser, there's a lot of really startling similarities. You know, the control they have over you, the reliance you have over them, and how they push you into that positioning. Well, yeah, it's almost just like on a bigger scale. Yeah, instead of focusing on one victim, you have hundreds or thousands of victims. So the main focus of this was to get everyone focused on the church. That even your job, your home, your friends, your family was in the church. Your very identity became centered around being a Mooney and and being a part of the Unification Church. If you chose to leave, you'd be leaving with nothing. But sometimes people didn't make the choice to leave. Their family made that choice for them. Andrew Wilson, a member of the Unification Church, was one such person. His family paid $3,000 to have him kidnapped and deprogrammed from the Mooney's cult. 
Unfortunately, it doesn't really sound like they paid the right people. The programming consists of torturing him. They told him Moon was Satan, that he was a pimp and a prostitute. They would show pictures of Moon and then pictures of Satan back and forth, back and forth. Andrew eventually escaped. He told them that their deprogramming worked, but as soon as he could, ran back to the church. He's still a member of Moon's church today and graduated Berkeley on a scholarship from the church. Oh, this is how you have scholarship opportunities. Well, his own personal wealth was in the hundreds of millions. I would hope he would have scholarship opportunities. <laughs> so for this section, I have to give a special thanks to a fellow podcast that I found. It's called Growing Up Mooney by Hideo Hadashibaba. I'm going to be relying heavily on her own recounting of experiences growing up in the church and from the recounting of the people she interviewed for her podcast. If you want to know anything more about the Unification Church, as there is, I'm sure, going to be tons that I don't get to cover in this podcast, please go check his podcast out. Hideo was born into a blessed marriage and grew up in the church. He chose to leave at the age of 22. His podcast goes into his own experiences and the experiences of others who grew up in the church. Hideo grew up in Gloucester, Massachusetts, at a place called Morning Garden. It's a retreat center owned by the church. The avid churchgoer was not allowed into the most of the retreat because it was reserved mainly for the founder. Sung Young Moon originally bought the retreat to be a fishing ministry. Ministries were just another way for Moon to make money off of his followers. He started a global fishing business, and Morning Garden was just one of those branches. It was wildly successful, making around $25 million in a year. That number is kind of startling because there are some members that would go without food, water, or even clothing for their children in order to give their money to the church. Oh my god. Hideo was one of the first generation, meaning he was a child of a blessed couple. His parents didn't know each other when they first got married and actually met at the blessing ceremony. Being born in the first generation meant you were born without original sin. Your parents, through their marriage, got rid of their sin, and because of this, you were born free of sin. This made the children born to these couples special in the church. Sin and purity was a really big deal in the Unification Church, so being born without this sin was the entire goal of the church. This first generation was meant to shoulder the burden from the world, taking the world from the brink and fighting Satan. And that's a lot to put on a child, especially if you expect the child to grow up around other children. Other children that aren't blessed have original sin, and weren't part of the church. These children had a lot of pressure. They were told they had to be perfect and they had a lot of guilt associated with that. They were also told that they are better than everyone else around them, especially those who are not part of the church. The children who grew up in the Unification Church had a unique time growing up. They had the weight of the world on their shoulders and they felt the constant need to be perfect. They also grew up with some strange rituals. Well, like what? Well, they used salt to purify things that came into the home. And they had some special rituals that could only be performed in holy places. One such ritual is where they would sing and then hit themselves in places directed by the ritual leaders. Aww. Hundreds of people in these places would be singing and hitting their arms, their legs, their chests. Other leaders would walk around and give special instructions on how to hit yourself properly or how hard you should be hitting yourself. This ritual was called Ansu and was used to free the body of evil spirits trapped inside. This wasn't the only unusual ritual in the church. 
And a lot of the rituals were similar to standard Christianity. Read the Bible, bow your head when you're praying. But others were more interesting. Even though basin Christianity showed Moon's own beliefs, or the beliefs he thought people wanted to hear in order to follow him, Moon taught that Mary wasn't a virgin, even when giving birth to Jesus, because it's impossible for a woman to get pregnant if she was a virgin. He also taught that Jesus didn't come to earth to die for our sins, that he came to get married and form a perfect marriage and to have perfect children. He said Jesus was the bridegroom of humanity and that his followers should become his brides. He also believed in some other things that I find even further from Christian teachings. Women were their husband's property. The husband was the head of the house and in charge. He taught that African Americans were an inferior race and that homosexuality made people less than animals. He also taught that a woman's sexual organs belonged not to them, not to God, but to her husband. Ew. Yeah, there's a clip of him speaking to a crowd, and he's he's like, only the women answer, only the women answer. Who do your sexual organs belong to? And you can hear women screaming, my husband, my husband. And he's like, yes, say it proud, your husband. And it's just like, wow. That's definitely not something I believe. But in the end, Moon was just like every other cult leader, corrupt. In 1981, Moon was found guilty of tax evasion. This act forever marked the start of the downfall of Moon's church. The branches of Moon's church exist to this day. None are as powerful as the once was. The branches are his wife and his two sons. Both of the sons claimed to be Moon's true heir. One of the offshoots belonging to his son had a notable event in 2018. The church was an offshoot and called the Sanctuary Church. They invited all their vo- they invited all of its devotees to a special blessing ceremony. They were required to bring crowns made of ammunition and a rod of iron from the Book of Revelations. And by rod of iron, he meant an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. Oh my god. Hundreds of people showed up with guns, and those who couldn't because of gun laws or permit were allowed to bring proof of payment for the guns. Many people got married or renewed their wedding vows at the ceremony, but it was terrifying for the surrounding community. Yeah, I wonder why. They shut down a school and they had a heavy police presence around the community. That was only in 18, and they still have these practices to this day in the church. So they're still picking people to marry each other? While Moon was around, he was the one who was responsible for this. He would look at photographs and choose couples to be together. And what was his criteria, I guess? How would he pick the couples? Um, it's not, I'm not quite sure. I think he just would ask the Lord for divine guidance or something. Because oh. oftentimes it'd be people from completely different countries. Like people, one person from Britain, another from Korea, one person from Japan, another from Africa. Sometimes people wouldn't even share the same language and they'd be matched together. Wow. And the church obviously didn't believe in divorce. So once you're matched, you're expected to stay in that marriage and have children. That's horrible. When Moon's wife started taking over the practice, she would do a thumb ceremony. You would clasp your hands together like you're praying, and you would look for someone on the other side of the room that had their thumbs the same way you did. Oh, true love. You know, obviously it wasn't the girl who got to pick this person, it was the man, but... I'd be out there doing weird shit with my thumbs, trying not to get married. (laughs) Well, you're taught from such a young age that being blessed and being put in a 
list match was your end goal. That's what you wanted out of your life. And people still do it to this day. They have unification only dating websites where you can go and try to find your perfect match. Oh. And people are given a lot more decision making in their own matches. Instead of some leader who you've never met deciding for you, your parents get a decision and you get a decision. So at least you have some choice in who you marry. Yeah, I just, to me, it just one, it just seems like one of those things where it's like, you could probably, you're, how many of these marriages were happy marriages? I can't imagine a lot. According to Hideo, the man who I talked about earlier, who did a podcast about his experiences growing up in the mini church, his parents hated each other. And he talked about a lot of other people whose parents has had a similar experience where they just didn't get along and didn't have anything in common. There are a lot of people who were in these matches who were happy. But I think for the most part, there was a ton of divorces and a ton of marriages that just didn't work out or matches that didn't work out. And do you guys want, the church is still going up to this day and and that dating website is still active. So if you guys want to go see if you can find your Mooney match, it's available. Oh, that's funny. I'm kind of wondering if they have like a quiz at the beginning of it or it's just you see pictures of other people and put a bid in. Maybe for one of our Patreon episodes when we start doing them, we can try to go onto the Mooney's website and see if we can find our perfect matches. <laughs> you know, no one mind that I'm already married and that Nicole has a fiance. Hey, if it's divine, it's divine. <laughs> right. If the Reverend Sung Young Moon's spirit comes down and blesses my future blessing ceremony marriage, it will be completely better than my loving romantic relationship I currently have with my husband. Well, honestly, me and Kyle's thumbs fold differently and that's always driven me crazy nicole you should have been in the unification church your whole life would have changed just sign me up cult me up (laughs) guys i hope no cults are listening to this podcast because you just are more and more finding what an easy target nicole is right now i'm two out of three on joining these cults that's all i have from the unification church i love this church or this cult because there is so much information about how it affected people's personal lives. And still this to this day, or how the church evolved from what it used to be to what it is now. If you guys are interested, I really do highly recommend checking out Growing Up Moonies by Hideo Hadashibaba. But that's all we have for this week. Nicole's going to cover a crime episode next week. So Nicole, what are you covering? All right, guys. So I do have two hints for you. Are you ready? We're ready. Okay, so this is going to be about a missing person, and it has to do with a bike ride. I feel like that does not narrow anything down, but okay. Well, missing person, bike ride. I'll even tell you where it happened. Berlin, New Mexico. Berlin? Berlin. Oh, Berlin, okay. I might think like Berlin. I'm like, Berlin, Germany, Mexico? And I'm no, like, wait, Berlin, Germany, Mexico. And then I got confused. And I'm like, hmm. So Berlin is definitely different. Okay, good to know, good to know, good to know. Hey guys, me and Jamie found a podcast we think you guys might be into. It's called Hot Tea Cold Cases. And I'm going to read their bio. Just two best friends spilling the tea on some cold cases, which I just love. And we're really lucky because we have a promo for them that we're going to play for you guys right now.
Rebecca Sebastian, host of Dialogue. I'm also the creator and host of Yellow Tape, a true crime trivia show in New York City. In those live shows, I cover the who, what, and when of popular true crime cases, but I can't always deep dive the way I'd like to. That's where this podcast comes in. Dialogue picks up where Yellow Tape leaves off. Each week, I'll be interviewing professionals, podcasters, and players in the true crime space. We'll attempt to answer the why of true crime, why we love it, why it happens, and what are we even talking about when we talk about true crime? And yeah, we'll probably play some true crime trivia too. So, are you ready to explore the heart of true crime with me? I think we'll have a killer conversation. Be sure to subscribe to Dialogue on iTunes today and download the premiere episode of Dialogue wherever you listen to podcasts starting July 31st. Hey, cults and crime fans. If you like listening to us discuss charismatic leaders and husbands who definitely did it, then one of the easiest ways for you to support us is by subscribing to us on whatever listening platform you're using and giving us a five-star review. We love all of our listeners. Production by Jamie. Production and editing by Nicole. Our intro music is Wrong by Dan Henning. Our background music is In Albany, New York by the 129ers.